I wish I'd come up with Desert Island Discs. <laughs> uh, just saying. Because I wouldn't be sat in this room. Well, it's a good concept, you know. I was going to ask my guests to, to, to bring in a bit of information about themselves that was either true or false, and I had to... Guess which one it is. I had to skeleve it or not, basically. Okay. And then well, I'll come up with that by the end. Well, and then I thought, I thought no. that's shit. <laughs> <laughs> thought somebody's thought of Desert Island Discs, and I've come up with this really no, shit, the, loose concept. The problem is, I've, I'm having to follow up on this podcast show that I made purely based on the fact that I come up with a title. And yeah. I, and I laughed at that and went, that's so self indulgent. Now, now, let me tell you, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. I believe in. in, in if you're going got, with it. Got a good pun, go for it. Skeleve it on that. Talking on air, and I'm probably drinking tea. Shooting the breeze in the hope that you care. Who could it be? Scaliva or not, it's just me. Hello, Scalivas, and welcome to Matt Skillington's Scaliva It or Not. Hello there, Scalivas. Thanks for downloading the podcast. Matt Skillington, believe it or not, I am Matt Skillington. Uh, I have been away for a little bit for the f- past few weeks, and that is why uh, I've not been able to deliver this podcast. I tried getting it out before we headed off, you see, because we went off to film our pilot episode, and um, if anyone actually follows me on Instagram or Twitter, you will uh, have seen constant updates of what we've been up to. So we basically uh, got a crowdfunding together, and we raised money to make a pilot episode, our own comedy pilot. And um, that's where I've been. I've been away filming the largest majority of that. So I know you've been sat there, laid there, stood there, um, floating there, suspended there, uh, hanging there uh, with bated breaths. Bated breasts? With bated breath to see when my next podcast was coming out. And I do apologise for the delay. Like I said, I tried getting it out before we went up, but we just didn't have time because we are very busy. Because there's only five of us trying to do a full-length pilot in the pre-production crew. So it, it's, it's been intense. But I'm back now, and I'm back with my next guest, uh, Joe Morrow, otherwise known as Joe Morose, who is a cabaret and burlesque compare. Uh, when I first met him years ago, he wanted to be an actor, and he, he was convinced he was going to be a stage actor but we talk about how he ended up where he is now. Um, He does like to talk, ah, Joe. It's the longest podcast I've done, actually. But if you listen to him, he's actually got a lot of very interesting things to say about being an actor, about the burlesque and the uh, cabaret business, and generally just about, you know, the struggles with mental health and stuff like that. So I hope you enjoy the chat. Um, I certainly enjoyed talking to him. Uh, and just a word, actually, to my sponsors. I, weirdly enough, I still haven't heard a single thing back from any sponsors. So I took things into my own hands. And uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you've probably seen this. But I got in touch with Vimto. Uh, sent them a picture of me guzzling a Vimto slush. Uh, well, a Vimto slush. I was going to call it a Vimto slush puppy, but I think that's a completely different brand. Um, just saying that it's winter, but I'm still eating uh, slush. Vimto slush. P.S. Will you sponsor me? Now, they got in touch, and I think they were they were very touched and heartwarmed by the fact that I'd uh, been showing so much love towards Vimto, but they had to um, decline the sponsorship. So I'm still looking for sponsors. So uh, if you're out there, and you know, I'm not being sponsored by Vimto, so I can't really talk about how delicious and original that flavour is. Anyway, on with the show. Uh, I hope you enjoy this, and once again, 
Thanks for listening. So, we met... It was 16? 16. 14 years ago. So we met at age 16, and then sort of, yeah, knew each other for... But where did we meet, though, mate? Well, we met, mate, uh, in uh, at Ravensbourne (laughs) College of Communication. And why were we there? We were there learning how to be be broadcaster... I want to say journalists. Making broadcasting. It was a summer school, wasn't it? It was a summer school, and then basically what happened was that you and I decided that we quite hit it off, and then we decided that we were going to be the main people in that course, and then everyone else had to just deal with it. So we had a little, we had a fun time. And Ryan, as well. Yeah. But even when I knew you at that age, you were well into... Your 50s. It was the pipe you, and the cardigan there. It was the pipe and the... Yeah, actually, you were smoking then. I thought, this guy is this a badass. He is like Bob but Dylan. you were reading as well. And that's yeah. what really blew my mind. Uh, because you, <laughs> because were, you could read. Yeah, you could read. Um, I, mean, I, mean, I'm thinking, I think Sheffield is, a, is an interesting place. I'm thinking... I mean, I was from, you know, I was from Leeds, mate. We were, we were, we were years ahead, light years ahead. Um, but yeah, no, but I think that was an interesting... But like, for me, it was an interesting thing to meet you guys because there was... I think you were, you were sure that you wanted to do comedy stuff. You were already sure that you wanted to do... So this involved is in me, that sort of me stuff. and Ryan Howes. You and Ryan. The guy who now produces this yeah. show. It's not his only job, but... Um, no, but... Just it's, to give context. Just, yeah. So, yeah, and, and actually, you, I think you both knew what you wanted to do, and, and uh, which also meant that we were straight in when we were given the opportunity, like, that particular week. Obviously, looking back, you know, as a 16-year-old, I don't quite... It was much more valuable than I think I thought it was at the time. Yeah. Mainly, we were trying to get the people that were looking after us for the week to try and get us booze. <laughs> but, but at the time, aside from that bit, whilst we were also trying to cop off with, with whoever all, we could. All the girls. All the girls. Uh, how times have changed. And, um, <laughs> we'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. Um, that was actually really rewarding. But then they said, you know, we need to write some scripts, we need to put some stuff together. And naturally we're going, well, we are making each other laugh. So, And I think that's one of the most important things about any kind of comedy stuff it's why Emma who I've mentioned before is my flatmate best mate comedy partner all those things fundamentally we make each other laugh yeah. and I think you, you sort of go well if I can make you laugh and you can make me laugh and I'm quite a good judge of comedy I think because I like comedy mm. um, then I should be able to make other people laugh yeah. in the same way because you go and it's always that thing of going yeah well if, if we think this is funny and we quite like all of this comedy stuff then surely it must be funny. Yeah. I mean, that's... Well, I've been telling myself that for 10 years. <laughs> I don't think that's quite... Yeah. No, yeah. I think you're right. It was... And at that time, you... Because we we did a end of project thing where we had to make a live broadcast when it was like... Well, a, what you and I thought we were Saturday on deck. Morning. Yeah, and, yeah. We, and we became... In like a way, we were. <laughs> did, I can't remember if anyone else... There were else, two of us. That was it. Did, it. did anyone else have a choice in... Was it like, who's going to be the... I'm swear we just think went, the, it's going to be us. Yeah, I think the us. idea was okay. Let's sit down. Let's assign the roles that we want to give people. So we're going to need a director. We're going to need some producers. We're going to need some people to do the research. We're going to need some people to do, you know, continuity and some people operating cameras. And we're going to need some present. That's we'll do that. <laughs> yeah, but we're going to just we're going to just write down all of the jobs and then see who wants to do. But we'll do that one. And then, I mean, let's face it. Obviously, two arrogant sixteen-year-olds going, "Come on, Carlo, look around the room." <laughs> Read the room, guys. It's going to be... Yeah. We if were, it's not us, it's going to be boring, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah, so at that time, you were well into your theatre, weren't you? Were you performing... Yeah. So I don't, When did that kick off? This is the thing, I suppose. This is why I think it was interesting, me and you and Ryan, because 
you you think you knew that you you liked that TV comedy stuff, you liked that sketch comedy stuff, you liked that legit comedy route, whatever that was going to entail. That's sort of the thing where mm. you, were, you that's where you were directing your um, your interests and your attention. I was convinced that I was going to be a musical theatre performer. That's what I died doing. I was doing amateur musicals and I was doing school shows and I was doing you know drama club outside of school and it was all really theatrical in terms of you know we were doing Rodgers and Hallerstein and we were doing you know Android Webber stuff and and I, I think I thought oh that's that's where my trajectory will go I'll be the guy that plays you know I played the Artful Dodger and all of it. some might say I've been playing it ever since but I did um, I did that when I was like 13, 14 at the Bradford Alhambra which is a big old beautiful theatre and so obviously I thought that was for me that was the equivalent of the West End and we did that and I, that was a a really exciting thing and I thought that's where I'll do that and then I'll play the Art of Dodger until I get too old and then I'll start playing Fagan um, and then uh, and then it was a kind of a that's a depressing crossover isn't it when you get to that age where you go yeah. well I've spent so much now so I can't do the yeah, bits. you're not playing Art of Dodger anymore you're, yeah. you're too old yeah. we're going to put you in as Fagan yeah and you cross your fingers going let me be Nancy but no it's no Fagan it is um, then the <clears throat> doing that week in Ravensbourne when we were learning the broadcasting thing and I went oh actually this production stuff is really interesting to me so I went back and then you, we, you were making some videos and sketches and stuff and you were try, like, trying out that sort of stuff and then we did a couple of things together which were probably dreadful I imagine but a lot of fun but a lot of fun uh, and you know if you you know at the time once you've had two cans of Carlsberg I yeah. mean it's the funniest thing in the world right yeah there was all that and then I ended up doing my own ones and then I ended up work, working in television I went to go and be a video editor for a bit and, and was doing some TV documentary stuff working for a, an independent production company whilst at the same time doing these amateur shows which were very good um, there's a you know the, the amateur theatre scene in Leeds is great mm. um, and quite professional I know there's a lot of uh, you know now down in London there's a lot of musical theatre performers in, you know, I know in in five or six of the big shows in town, ever since I've been down here, somebody from my hometown has been in, you know, the, the, there's been four or five people in four or five different shows yeah. from that same little bunch of people up in that. So it's obviously a, quite a creative little hotbed of performance. That learning experience up to the age of 18 in Leeds is obviously quite a, quite a fruitful thing. So then I moved down to London and decided to become an actor, so I went to train as an actor for three years. I'd seen you on uh, a poster. I was going up the escalator on the tube. It was quite a funny moment because I looked at this poster and it was for Cat in the Hat. It was Seussical the Musical. Seussical the Musical. At, uh, at the Arts Theatre in 2012, I think. And you were? I played the Cat in the Hat, which was... It was... The, it was simultaneously one of the most fun jobs and the least fun jobs I've ever had because it was the probably it was the longest run of a show I'd ever done and you're looking at normally sort of two shows a day uh, over a Christmas period doing it for kids uh, and it was great because obviously you're going I'm in a West End theatre this is it I'm this is fantastic and then you don't realise quite how much stamina it's, it's required to do that and particularly as a character like that who is you're on you're pretty much on stage all the time on and off playing different characters as the guy in the hat coming on and off so I was knackered by January yeah. um, and suddenly realised ah oh, do you know what probably going out to the pub every night and then getting up and doing two shows the next day not a thing is there a big drinking I imagine when you finish a show and people are like oh darling let's go and get some drinks well do you know it's a funny thing I think that the, the culture is um, 
it is quite there was a, there was a, a weird there was a lesson learned at, at drama school where um, I had I had a, a mate at drama school who was who was not a particularly big drinker and didn't really like going to the pub and would you know would go home and the one of the tutors sort of sat us both down and said uh, sometimes you know it's sometimes mate you need to it's worthwhile going for that drink in the pub you know be in the pub for a bit because actually that's where you make some connections and then he turned to me and went and Joe sometimes it's a good idea to leave the pub <laughs> like don't be the last one there every night that's just a good thing I think I thought it was all champagne and showbiz to a detriment too much the, the thing is you, you forget that actually this in, I think the same in, it's the same in comedy it's the same in now I've ended up in cabaret and the same in theatre there is so much there's so many opportunities and so much importance in networking and being able to be approachable and you know I think you are you are you can work with the nicest person who might not be that good but you know you want to work with them again because you get on with them and they're absolutely fantastic mm. you can work with the most talented person who is a borderline genius but actually if they are if if it's not if it's not comfortable to work with them or they're not good to work with you end up not working with them again and that's a real shame because sometimes you know and obviously it's very difficult I think because creative people tend to be a bit weird yeah I mean I mean I've, it's taken me 31 years to be able to embrace that finally and go yeah do you know what actually the, oh the weird thing is why I can do the other thing uh, so, so how did you go from you know cat in the hat to burlesque so it's a genuinely it's, it's actually quite a showbiz story I'm not embellishing this into please do please do okay I'll make it more theatrical <laughs> um, I'll put this bow on while I do it um, so I yes yeah, so I left drama school in about 2011 and I needed to get a job and I think it, you know just as a slight tangent I think it is really important I think all performers no one really tells you about the about the really important thing of going yeah, you're about to launch into this career but you've got to have another job because mm. otherwise you can't eat and everyone goes, well, surely, but my job will be the art that I make, right? Where everyone pays me for the art. And they go, no, no, you be you paid. You say, I, I am an actor in London, therefore I work in a bar or a restaurant um, or a call centre, um, all of which are fun. But, you know, no one really sets you up for that. And so I suddenly thought, oh, God, I've, I've, got, to get a, I've got to get a job. I was quite lucky straight out of drama school. I got a few shows in a row, and The Cat in the Hat being one of them, sort of at the end of, at the end of quite a good sort of year year and a half I'd gone from doing uh, I'd had a sort of a good decent Christmas show a couple of plays did a, a couple of nice plays down in Greenwich and a couple of plays in uh, the old Riverside Studios where they used to film quite a lot of stuff and that was a really nice experience doing all those things for a, for a bit and then that uh, as it normally happens you know then suddenly there was just no, no work I didn't after the cat in the hat I didn't get another acting job immediately so I thought right well I'll go and get a job in a restaurant and a friend of mine had been to a cabaret restaurant and said, look, if you're looking for a job, you should go and work in this place. It's really fun. It's a restaurant in which there is a cabaret show every night. Um, they're probably looking for staff or, or waiting staff or bar staff or whatever. And so I applied to them and uh, I got the job as the maitre d'. So I was basically the door host. And the, the door host job in that was, was literally for people to come down the stairs. Uh, you have the reservation diary in front of you, like in any normal restaurant, and you sit them at their table and do that thing. Obviously they liked it because it was a cabaret restaurant, they, they, they encouraged you to do it in a theatrical manner. And I got to know everyone, I got to know part of the team, all the parts of the teams uh, and you know the management and the techies and the cabaret performers and it was all very fun and I was part of the show. And then there was a, there was a little opportunity that I saw 
um, they have some breaks throughout the show and they had a piano in there and I said to one of the managers I was like do you know it'd be really good I think it'd be really good if if we did a little sing-along type thing during the breaks it will make for a fuller evening yeah. and also it means I get to go on stage <laughs> so uh, I'm not entirely manipulative but that was a you sold it very well to I, them I saw an opportunity and went well if I do that then I'm sort of part of the show and also means I have to do less of the work that I don't like doing mm. means oh I've done the piano playing so I'm not going to fold the napkins so there was a lot of that going on and then uh, and then one night it was a genuine sort of showbiz moment where the compere of the cabaret show rang and said I'm stuck at the other side of London there's absolutely no way I'm going to get there in time for the show even if I get there it'll be 45 minutes after the show is supposed to start this this sounds too it does sound mental it sounds like I've actually written it but they actually <laughs> yeah. did this I mean obviously I'm telling it in a in a much more raconteur way now. Yeah, no, no, um, at the time I was going oh god no um, and then uh, a friend of mine Taz sort of walked towards me with the microphone in his hand and went right um, the compare at the time uh, I think it was it was Ophelia Bits who's an incredible cabaret artist and general creative genius person wasn't she couldn't make it because yeah stuck in traffic or whatever and he went you're going to have to host the show and I literally had to walk on stage and do it I didn't have any material I didn't have any songs prepared I didn't have I could play the piano and I had I had a couple of the songs that I would normally play the piano with so that was a doable thing um, were, you, were you up front with the audience did no, you, did you hold that to your chest? No, I kept. I, I didn't, I, I I kept yeah, I kept that in. I, I sort of went for. Well, what would it be? What would I be like if I'd have been doing this for ages? Um, and so yeah, and so I ended up. So I did that, and then uh, the all of the the managers and people went. Oh, you yeah, you're quite good at that. Why don't we rejig it? So uh, so the show, the club was open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Why don't we rejig it so that Thursdays you still do the major D job, but on a Thursday you do a bit of the major D job and you host the show. Because it's a you know there's a smaller audience in, you can sort of work you work it out and obviously it was a fantastic opportunity and uh, and it was uh, which was a proud cabaret which there's one in Camden and one in in the city in near Fenchurch Street uh, and Alex Proud who runs it sort of yeah he saw me and went you're very good at this I I like you you can you be part of the team you I I, I didn't I learned by doing I learned out of necessity which I think from speaking to a lot of stand-ups that I've spoken to. That's almost the best way to do that as well, I think. Just throw yourself in there. Chuck in, do those five-minute open spots and hope that you've got five minutes. Yeah. Or work on that five minutes and make that five minutes really solid so you can go and do that and then move that into maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes um, and put yourself about and do that sort of thing. The the nature of that, I think, it means that you just have to learn. You only learn through mistakes. Mm. And obviously the thing is, part of, the, part of doing any of that kind of stuff that's you direct address to the audience whether it's comparing as I do. I mean, I wouldn't call... I'm not a comedian. I, I suppose I'm a comic uh, in the in the old school sense of... I don't do stand-up. I do... I'm sort of song and dance. I, I sing. I tell jokes, a couple of one-liners. Easy jokes. That, and because I'm because I'm comparing, the, the, the whole job is to make the audience feel safe and responsive and go, it's... This is a this is a conversation cabaret more so I think more so than obviously with a with compares in comedy clubs uh, when you're doing either comic acts or sketch acts there is that thing where we understand the format we understand the nature of somebody or some people will come on stage they will do something and our given response should be to laugh the level to which we laugh 
is entirely dependent on how good they are yeah. and the level to how good they are there must be a, a two way thing with that there must be a little figure of eight with we know that if we laugh more they'll be better and if they are better we'll laugh more so there is that thing in cabaret and variety because of the pure nature of the fact that some of it is burlesque some of it is circus some of it is magic some of it is fucking weird there is not necessarily that given relationship understood by the audience immediately when you're introducing or comparing a blessed act uh, I think the old school way of doing it was very misogynistic and and used to be there's quite a lot of male compares to female burlesque acts and that still happens now but I think we've moved on to a point where hopefully it's more embracive it's more um, about it's more about we're all in this together rather than or she's going to get a kit off now um, yeah. Uh, so actually, what we, you know, it's about an encouragement thing, and also it's just, it is weird with burlesque if somebody's about to come on stage and do a strip tease with modern burlesque and and with sort of what burlesque is now in terms of strip tease, it's actually weirdly it's about not taking your clothes off. It's about starting a costume and how long can you spend with your costume on? It's gone shit, hasn't it? It's well, the thing is, I think <laughs> no, I think the um, well, I think this is the this is the. It's funny because there's quite a lot of it that's harking back to uh, kind of pinups and uh, and the you know the sensual kind of corset vintage kind of thing. Yeah. There's a lot of very funny comedy burlesque and 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 uh, a bit more of the sort of the uh, left field stuff. And there's quite a lot of arty kind of neo burlesque that happens nowadays. But I think we also. It used to. I feel like the striptease in, in one of those cabaret shows or that kind of variety show used to be a bit of it was titillation throughout the thing, you know, throughout the evening of of variety acts. You might have your showgirl number a couple of times. She'd do a sing sing a song, sing or... sing and fling, or a bit of a thing, and it's a and it was ele- there was elements of a bit of blue for the dads, like the old panto thing of putting the prince charming as a really nice leggy bird. Mm. So the whole family are going to go, and uh, and the kids are going to laugh. at the clowny ones and the dame's there for the adult humour and a bit of the kids humour and then there's then there's a bit of love interest with that and then Prince Charming will slap her nice fishnet thighs because dad's going as well yeah whereas burlesque isn't as fun for all the family I suppose no it's not fun for all the family um, it's inappropriate I mean I've done we've done cabaret I've done cabaret shows with burlesque shows with kids in the audience which was an interesting experience just they, they, there was a couple, there was a, a club that decided to do like an afternoon tea thing and you suddenly end up doing suddenly going, oh, we're gonna get yeah, this is happening, and there there's like a six-year-old in the audience. <laughs> I did Shambhala Festival this year, yeah, and I was hosting the cabaret tent, and we were doing obviously they're doing some cabaret throughout the afternoon, but obviously it's a festival, so quite a lot of these festival mums and dads, you know, it's just a slightly different, more liberal thing. So the kids are up at ten o'clock when I took over to compare the cabaret tent, and the nature of my shtick is I, I just say funny filthy things mm. until you laugh because actually I'll, I'll, I'll get to the point where I'll do some hopefully do some clever wordplay or I'll do some nice interaction or I'll do a nice number or a bit of wit but to be honest with you the word cock is quite funny at the beginning it's a leveller yeah and I'm aware that I'm saying cock or I'm saying fuck at the beginning of a show that's the parents fault though isn't it I mean, well it is but actually ten... you go and you go well, this is the this is just I mean it's your decision so that's fine and you if you if you know what you've brought your child to then that's a conversation that you're going to have to have in a tent later on. Yeah. You know, that's or, or thirty years down the line when, <laughs> yeah. when the kid has a breakdown. And... I mean, when you remember, and I, there was that little guy, the eyeliner, covered in eyeliner, and he swore a lot. Hours. 
and I was six. You had a gig last night. Um... Yeah. Well, this is you ask. Go, go. Uh... <laughs> I realised this wasn't an interview. This was just a fucking monologue then. No, it's absolutely fine. I just want to. I know you did a gig last night. I just uh, you said it entailed um, clowns. A lot of a lot of clowns. What, yeah. what was that all about? So there is a wonderful show. So the the cabaret that I've done has fit itself into two different camps. There's quite a, there's a lot of that mainstream cabaret. There's you, the Café de Paris and the Proud Cabarets, which are great shows and they're very accessible because they are aimed at tourists into London. They're aimed at uh, people in London who are doing hen and stag do's. Uh, they're aimed at like good night out but a night out that is accessible for very mainstream audiences the great thing about those ones is hopefully you can try and you try and slip in a bit of subversion and a little bit of you know I try and I try and on those shows I always try and put a bit of my politic forwards I always try and put a bit of my rainbow flag waving bisexual politic into that because I think it's important and actually if you are a group of lads from the city and I can have that interaction with you and you can still laugh along with me not at me with me and I go well this is the interaction we're going to have and I'm going to yeah you, you, you're not going to win this dialogue but we can have a laugh about it and if we're all not being dicks then we'll have a nice time yeah. um, to try and feed that into that the other side of the cabaret is incredible uh, not that that's not incredible but there is there is such a, a different end which is sort of what I would call the old well, the, the the proper cabaret that exists now, which is kind of creative, it's that borderline of, is it entertainment, is it titillation, is it comedy, is it art? It, I think it's all of them. And so there is a brilliant show that I've been involved with uh, for a few years called Cabaret Roulette. And the the basic premise is that the producer puts together a lineup, a compare, uh, a stage manager, who is normally a performing stage manager, so somebody who is actually doing it's part of the act, um, so there's interaction there, it's a bit of a double act on stage, and then a load of uh, individual performers. They all get cast, uh, and then the month before, there's a draw in the show before, where the audience vote for the theme of the show. Uh, and the theme of the show can be anything we've done. We've done books, we've done, uh, one of them was Evolution. Who comes up with the initial... Um... So so the, the lineup is booked by the producer, uh, Vivacity Bliss, uh, who books, who will book a, a series of, of acts, some of whom are sort of cabaret regulars, and some of whom are guest performers, and uh, a, a whole gamut. So you, you know, you might book a burlesque, and a musical comedian, and a clown, and uh, an acrobat, or whatever, and you get all of these people together. So you've got a nice varied show, and then the audience, via I think it's via Facebook, they write in and and and, uh, and suggest themes and then normally on stage the compare does a draw and then the audience on the night you know you get three choices and you do a little clap off and work out which one wins and they go right so next month we're doing horror films or whatever it is and then the cast from the next show have a month to put together a brand new act with their skill set with That's that theme great idea it's brilliant i mean it's sometimes terrifying i've done some weird stuff last night i it was the theme was feathers and I did a whole bit. We had a lot of time to film me and, and uh, Emma, whose performer name is Chastity Belt. So we were like, well, we need, we've got to fill about two minutes. And it's feathers as the theme. And I said, well, I said, well, I'll go and do something physical that's just can be any length of time and hopefully see if it's funny. And she said, well, why don't you dress a giant pillow and dance? <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, okay, to what? And she said, probably it's so, so quiet by Bjork. <laughs> So we put that on, 
and uh, and I danced for two minutes and they thought it was really funny yeah. I mean it could have not been but to be honest with you it was only two minutes so once it's happened it's happened in it and you know sometimes when you do that thing on stage you go what the shit am I doing what am I doing I'm 31 years I'm 31 old 31 years old I'm dressed as a pillow I've got an house to pay for and this is what's paying for it me in a kid's bed sheet do you school leave and laugh after love and I feel it's inside myself I really don't know what school winner of what am I doing? Have you got an agent specifically for the burlesque thing, or can you just do it? No, so I have uh, I have an acting agent who does only my acting, and then all of my cabaret stuff is I do it myself. I run myself as a as a business. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a member of Equity as a as an actor and a variety performer. Oh, okay. Because um, you do re- you can register as those different things. I'm assuming there's a comedy one as well, but. Yeah, don't know. I'm not funny enough. Um, the uh... <laughs> no, you've got to stop putting yourself down like this, Joe. You're I know that's what all my therapists say. Funny, you're a funny guy, and you've spent years trying to prove to yourself and your dad that, yeah. that, that you were funny. Is it just? Should I take off the Groucho Marx glasses now? <laughs> it's the nose, isn't it? It's the nose, maybe. I'm surprised you came in with a clown uh, nose on, yeah, yeah, and a wig. Uh, yeah, the problem was getting up the stairs in the shoes. Big shoes, mate. Yeah, oh, mainly because I came on my tiny bike. And that's what I love about you. You know, you you keep the joke going even when everyone else is saying stop. Yeah, you know and one by joke, I think it's my life just breathing, isn't it? You mentioned uh, having a, an agent for straight acting now. As being part of the burlesque scene, kind of blown your mind, and, and you're going, I don't want to do any of that straight shit anymore. Do you know it's a real funny thing because this is going to sound a bit businessy and a bit a bit too my own horny. Well, you've got a horn actually with <laughs> it you. It's just here. <laughs> Oh, that was that was the small one, wasn't it? I was like, try the bigger one. Oh, there it is. I think the thing for me is that when I first started doing uh, theatre stuff, you know, you come out as a, as a of, of drama school as a, a young actor, and you have this kind of it's really important to um, to get as much work as you can. You know, it's almost that thing is instilled in you. And I don't know if you've had the same thing in your career, but it's the thing where you go, oh, I must be grateful for this opportunity. I must just take this opportunity because it's there, um, which is always a thing because actually, I think as you get a little bit older, you go, do you know, the ability to be able to pick and choose what you're doing is, is important because actually, you know, I don't want to be doing pantomime in Devon for six weeks over Christmas not being able to get back to London, still having to keep my flat in London. Like on a logistical point of view, you are stuck in a place that you don't live and you, you've got to go and do that and you think, oh, I better do it because I, I need something on my CV. I've not done a job for three months, whatever. And I think as I've got a bit older, you know, you've got to look at the, the, the career that we've got. Obviously, you want to create art, you want to create work and you want to have a... But you want to have a, an output that you're proud of and all that sort of thing. Um, but also you want to be able to call it... You, you've got to be aware that it's your job. And obviously some of those things, you do the gigs for free and you do those things that will further you. But actually, fundamentally, if you want this, this what we do to be creative and, and, and make stuff, if you want it to be your job, you've got to get paid to do it. When I first started doing the cabaret stuff, uh, it was I, was I was doing other jobs at the same time to try and allow myself to do that. And then as that grew, and I got a couple of little regular jobs, and I, I host in Café de Paris in Leicester Square, and I host a proud cabaret in Camden and, and the city, and I get asked to do out-of-town gigs and various other things, some corporate stuff, and I get asked to do those different things. I can now pretty much survive just on cabaret stuff, um, whether that's playing piano in a bar and doing some musical comedy, or whether that is hosting a big show, 
all of the, those sort of things, um, that this has now become my job. And actually, I'm now at the point where, if unless the the thing that my agent rings me and says, okay, this has come in, uh, this is an interesting thing. Do you want to have a look at the script? Shall I put you forward for it? That's where we are now. It used to be very much the opposite. It used to be kind of, I've put you up for this thing. Go to the audition, see if you get it. Um, and then if you get it, pretty much do the job. Because actually when you're first starting out in this career, you don't want to, you can't turn down the work. Your God, this person wants you to do a thing. And let's face it, you're probably not going to get, you could do 50 auditions and you might get one of them. Um, that was one thing, uh, which has meant that nowadays I feel a little bit more like I can, I can look at what the project's going to be and go, is it going to, well, money or art? If it's going to pay me the money, I'll go and do the co for it. Uh, other brands of cola are available, and uh, or or if it's gonna and, that, and that'll allow me to go and do something of my own that I do for free because of the money, um, or you go well they're not going to pay you very much but they want you to play Hamlet in in obviously not Hamlet but they want you to do this project in the sticks somewhere but it is a show and it's quite fun and blah 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 and that'll be a creative thing that decision has now become a possibility because actually I go do you know what I've got the income coming in and, and my my career is still carrying on um, so unless the opportunity comes up to do something that is stimulating financially or creatively uh, I can now make that decision whereas before I think you end up going oh yeah well I, yeah if somebody wants me to do the thing that I want to do I've just got to take it with that in mind uh, I did a, a children's show because I was going oh I've not done any acting for a while so I need to get something back on the CV I got offered this children's show. The money was absolutely dreadful. It seemed like a nice creative little opportunity. And we did it under, uh, we did it in Trinity Boy Wharf, which is uh, over in East London. And it's, it was in an old warehouse basement in the docks. And it was cold and it was damp. And it was this uh, immersive children's thing where we took them on a storytelling journey and all that sort of stuff. I was, at the time, I was housing for somebody while they were uh, away for a couple of months. Really poor and I was having a fucking horrible time. Mm. Um, and I got really ill and I got, I sort of got cold while we were doing this thing and I was being a bit, I wasn't eating well because I was poor. So, you know, just didn't have a break, just eating beans. And then this, this cold became a chest infection, which then became, uh, I got home and I was living with my boyfriend at the time and he said, you look like death, pal. <laughs> like, you look like you're dying. I was like, no, I'll be fine. It's fine. The show opens tomorrow. I just got to go to bed. And he was like, no, but you're like grey, and you can't stop coughing. And I was like, yeah, my, my ribs hurt from coughing. We went. To, he said, I'm gonna go, gonna go to the the hospital because I think you need to just go and be checked over because this this is not a cold. We got to the hospital and they were like, oh yeah, yeah, you look ill, mate. And then he showed me the X-ray and I had pericarditis, which is fluid round my heart. Oh my god! <laughs> because I had like a chest infection and my body was obviously going put the fluid around the heart so that you don't get you know don't die so it turns out I was really really ill and he said right well, here's what we need to do these are some steroids these it was an inhaler and here's some antibiotics you need to take these and you need to pay about six seven days in bed and I said I can't because I've got this children's show and it's sold out for the week and there's three shows a day it's an hour-long show there's 50 kids and their parents coming in every day to do this thing and it opens tomorrow. So I had to go and do it, because obviously this was, there was a day before, so you couldn't, there was no understudies or anything like that. It was a little devised kids thing. So I had to go in the next morning. So you did it. Took all the drugs and did all the, you know, steroids thing, went to bed, got up in the morning, got the tube across to East India Dock, and, uh, and I was so ill that I was, I was 
and there was a little three bar heater in the corner of this room. So I got in, put my costume on, put a massive like coat on and a rug and curled up in front of this three bar heater and went to sleep. And then they woke me up like 20 minutes before the audience arrived and were like, okay, are you ready? We had a little bit of a warm up. And then we did the show, which was an hour long. I got through it. Um, I was playing the accordion and I was doing some storytelling and carrying this accordion around. And weirdly, the accordion, obviously breathing in and out, going, and I was like, me or the accordion going, <laughs> it's death rattle. Uh, and thinking, thinking also, I mean, because I did say to the doctor, I was like, is, is this contagious? Because there's loads of kids around. No, it's like, no, it's not contagious. It's just, it's just you that's trapped. Yeah, and we did this thing and then we'd finish the hour long show, we'd finish, they'd clap. I'd go back into the back room, put the three bar heater on again, go to sleep for an hour, and then they'd wake me up and do it again. And I did this for like a week. And I got better, it was fine, obviously. Uh, but but actually, it was that was an experience where I just went, oh, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And, like, you, and you were getting paid sod all as well? Sod all. Like, it worked out, like, I don't know, we boil it down, less than minimum wage. Do you think that was a lot of kind of the show must go on? That, well, there's that, but also at that point, it's the necessity, isn't it? I mean, you've, you've probably been in the experience where you, where you go, well, I've got to do it now. I yeah. said I was going to do it. It's worse, if I pull out now, professionally, that's really bad. And also, you know, the other four actors that are in that and the director and the producer that put all the time and effort into that, if I pulled out, I mean, even on Death's Door, yeah. if I pulled out now, they'd have to cancel those shows. We, we played a little theatre once, um, just doing a few sketches, uh, me, John and Ryan. And I'd been away with my dad and I was so ill. Me and my girlfriend had got, well, we didn't know at the time, but we'd actually got the flu. And I felt, probably the worst I've felt for like a week. Just had a terrible time away. I think my dad thought I was some kind of pansy. <laughs> I don't see him that often. And, and we, I was just like, I can't, I'm so, I feel terrible. Like, it's that thing beyond, you're not just going, it's a bit of a cold, you're going, no, no, I... Oh yeah, I was trying to explain, like, waking up in the middle of the night, throwing up, I'd sit in the shower, because I'd be shivering, I'd just sit in the shower, just for ages, being like, I'm so ill. And I came back to London, we had a show that night, the night that I was coming back, we were just doing, like, 15 minutes. So I went via the walk-in centre, and I just said, like, I've got this show tonight, but I feel dreadful. And she just checked my throat and was like, ooh, yeah, yeah, you got severe. Uh, basically, my, all my throat was red raw. And she, she said, you, you're coming out of the flu. You've, you've had the flu. <laughs> I was like, oh, I've never really had, like, a proper flu. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, uh, I was, it was, when I was like, cold. yeah, I was like, oh, am I, am I going to be all right for the show tonight, Doc? You know, can, can it go on? <laughs> She's like, well, I mean, it's up to you. You know, you can take these painkillers. And I felt terrible I met the lads so I was drinking water and I was retching backstage just like <laughs> and all the other acts were just like god he's miserable what's with him I was, like, I, I was so then I started getting really anxious because I thought I was gonna um, I don't have gag reflexes in general once you get smells once you... talking about stuff I'll, I'll, oh, yeah. I'll start yeah I'll start going and then I started convincing myself that You're if I go out there because I was playing a, a role where I had to be very loud and uh, I was terrified that I was going to start retching on stage. And, and in once it starts, audience, it's not stopping. Yeah, I was just like, what, what am I going to do? Like, explain to the audience that I'm, I've got the flu. <laughs> but it was fine, and it all went well. But if I'd not done it, you know, it wouldn't be the end of the world, but it's a case of like... But it is that thing that you've got, you've also, and particularly when you're in a, you know, if you're in a group or you're in a, a cast or any of those things, you're also going, I don't want to, I don't want to be that, because I would be furious if somebody yeah. else was going, because obviously naturally you go... 
well, they're just looking at you going, oh, no, he's, oh, he's just got a cold and then he's just being pathetic. Mm. And I bet he wants to go, no, the doctor said I've got... The doctor said there's a black shadow on my heart. Black <laughs> I've, shadow. I've got consumption now. I've got the whooping cough. Oh, the black shadow. You want me to go out there and tell 50 kids about the black shadow on your on your heart? They don't <laughs> care, Joe. Get up there. Do the thing. Play the accordions. So do you, do you think you're more... It's less stressful now. You're in a bit more comfortable situation. Well, I think the other thing is, and this is, you know, I'm 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 a 31 year old man, and mm. that is the other thing that I think you've got to uh, to put into perspective. When you, uh, I know that when I first moved to London, and I don't know if I mean, granted, we're from Yorkshire, so oh, I grew I, up in shoebox. Um, I didn't. It was a lovely shoebox. I've been to that house. It was nice and safe. Very nice. There was a point I moved to London. It was a bit with thoughts with Mel, and 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 you know there was a point where we were living in a. There were thirteen of us living in a six-bedroom Victorian house in Streatham, all actors and all, with all of our various partners also living in there because no one had any money and we'd all gone. Yeah, but we're not going to get real jobs. We'll all be actors. Look at this creative house where I'm living on the sofa and there are mice and there's a you know and there's damp problems mm. and uh, and you know then you do the thing and you come home and you drink. Some scotch until four in the morning, and then you go, Yeah, but I'm an artist, and smoke all our cigarettes, and go, Yeah, I'm an actor, and actually go, Ah, oh, no, no, you can do that for like six months, and then you go, Ah, oh, just what's wrong here? Because I think this is the thing is, you go, You've got to remember that you, you, it's, it is your life, mm. and I think, you know, I, I don't want to be one of those people that you turn around at age whatever and go, What have I just been doing? I could have had a nice house, yeah, and I've got a nice telly and a nice sofa that I enjoy sitting on and I, you know and not worry about putting the eating on you know it's that yeah. sort of thing you go actually fundamentally you, you, you've still got to live your life and even if you choose to do this it shouldn't be a sentence <laughs> you shouldn't be you know that bohemian ideal of going yeah we all live in this attic and it's and it's great I think like age says a lot for that doesn't it it's true you can get away with a lot more when you're if you're in your early 20s or whatever you just it doesn't really matter and you can convince yourself that I'm young I'm Whatever. I'm the dream. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm an artist. I'm an artist. And then it's. I, I think like turning thirty, you kind of go. Okay, I can't really be doing this now. I think that's why thirties are kind of a good age to really get your career down. Yeah, well, I think it used to not be that. It used to be by the time I feel like the generation before us, they were sort of career, family, house. Get to get married when you're twelve. Yeah, do the thing. Uh, get the dowry yeah. and um, and I think that you know that it, there is that because I also you know the, the, the evil side of I mean I, I hate Facebook and Instagram and Twitter I, I really don't like it mm. because I, I, it gives me anxiety but obviously in our career in our industry it's a work tool you know you absolutely have that for, you know it's all about your networking and sharing and, 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 and things you could do I, I conduct most of my business through Facebook messages and, and yeah. then you know or somebody will message you on Facebook and then you get the email and then you do all of that sort of thing and, but also the negative side of that Facebook thing is that I see all my mates from school you know one of whom has just he's just had a baby I think he's moving into his second house that he's got a mortgage on it's a bigger house and you know moving and we had this conversation he said I'm moving in there because we're going to move while the kid's really young because then it'll be in a good catchment area for the when the schools and I was like oh my god Oh God! Living a, I'd, I'd be worried about getting a dog, in case yeah. he died, because I because I've because I've killed it, not because I've killed it, but just through neglect, you know. And I sort of think, you know, you know, I've, I'm nowhere near a mortgage, or a, I've got no. The best thing I own is a, I've got I've got quite a nice computer, 
Yeah. The, the Windows ninety eight. Yeah, nice. Yeah. yeah, it's got. They've still got wind up in the back. Good, um, solid computer. Yeah, uh, but I think it's the that thing, and you, you you've got to look at it and go. Actually, there is also something to be said for. I think this is why I've committed to do the cabaret thing because now I make a pretty good income. Unless I got on telly and then got, was able to do one of those panso jobs where you, you where you and I do like doing panso, but actually these days, unless you've been on telly, you ain't going to get paid the big dollar to do panso. So I would be on the normal equity minimum wage over Christmas and then you'd go and do eight weeks somewhere. Like I did, you know, I did nine weeks in Peterborough a couple of years ago. I had a lovely old time and it was a great show and I was made some really good friends and I was with one of my mates. But you're still nine weeks in Peterborough away from your house and, and, and you, you know, you're living in a bedsit. And this Christmas I went, do you know what? If I do the cabaret things and take some of those corporate gigs over Christmas and then actually work in the three or four clubs that I'm working in and take those gigs, Granted, it'll be six days a week of doing, let's do Christmas for other people's benefit. But come January, I, you know, I get, I, that's a lot of money. That's mm. a big whack. And I sort of go, that, and that will in, enable me to, to have a nice life. I don't want to live hand to mouth age 30 because I want to be, if I want to be able to go for a meal to the theatre on holiday, you know, I can't, you can't do that if, you, if you're doing the starving artist thing and I know a lot of people that are doing the starving artist thing I don't think they're happy <laughs> yeah well <clears throat> some people are really good at it though I think it's with it is and one of the things that I wanted to cover through doing this podcast was seeing how other people deal with it but that kind of you choose a creative path and people might go what the fuck are you doing and it's I think a way more stressful like you're, you're, you're making your own stress essentially mm. but it always comes down to that would do you regret it? Would you do it any differently? Yeah. And like for me personally, I, I think I'd be more miserable being in an office job on a regular income. And it might please some family members, you know, and they give them the, the comfort that like, oh, he'll be all right. Yeah, right now, yeah. He's got a pension on the go now. And yeah. He can afford to live <laughs> like, yeah. like a 30 year old man. Yeah. Um, but I would probably end up blowing my brains out by the time I was 40, so... I think that's a real... I think there's something that I've... Um, so I'll give you another... Here's, here's another showbiz... Another showbiz story. Basically, about two years ago, I had a massive wobble in my life. I got as close to probably a mental health issue as I've ever got. Mm. And it made me put a lot of things into perspective and take stock of a lot of things. Um, was that due to your position in life and your career? I think it was. A, I think it was a, a, a combination of things. I, you know what? What happened? There was a trigger in it. I was doing a show in town, and uh, and actually, it was a show that I was very proud of being involved in. It was. A, there was a great cast. It was really funny. We were having a lovely time making it, and it was. A, it was. It was billed as this new. Uh, big comedy and it was going to run for it was booked out for 12 weeks and then there'd been talk about well if it goes well for the 12 weeks let's see if there's an extension or all that sort of thing and you do the thing where I, going from being just doing freelance cabaret stuff this opportunity came along went to the audition got the audition um, really hit off with the director uh, we just it was very in the audition we were like oh this is funny um, and I was playing a really funny character that I was really enjoying doing and we we asked you always sticking to comedy is so subjective. So we were all in this room going, yeah, this is quite funny. Uh, we're having a nice time. And then we got to put it on stage and we did the previews and uh, and then we did the press night and it got panned. Full on, like, one star. Wow. 
I just didn't know what, I didn't know what it was. It was a combination of subject matter and all sorts of things. And the reviews were all pretty scathing. They were quite nice about the people in it. They were quite nice about, you know, there were some nice notices within that saying such and such is good and such and so such is good. was it completely unexpected for you to receive such a terrible review? I don't know if it was unexpected because I think we always knew it was going to... It was, it, was, it, was it was based on the story of Moses and it was basically going to be a life of Brian but for the story of Moses. So it was a maybe a dodgy subject matter. It was billed as a big, you know, big biblical comedy and it just didn't land. Mm. And, the, um, and so the, the critics planned it and then basically everyone went, well, it's not going to... No, because it's going to be an absolute disaster. So they pulled it. So, so what, this was like the opening week. Pretty much the. I think we ended up playing out of the twelve weeks we were going to play. I think we ended up playing three. Uh, and obviously, I I got rid of all my gigs for the next. You know, I'd been booked for a couple of months in advance, and I got this gig, and I'd got rid of all of my other cabaret work. Mm. I had no work because obviously I'd gone. Oh, I'm going to be in this until September and maybe further. And suddenly, this uh, this rug was completely pulled out from under me, and I had no work. And I looked at my life, and I was like, I've got no work. I'm single. I'm st- I'm still living in a, a bit studenty because I'm still living in a uh, still living in a lovely house, but but you know, still in that flat share situation, no routine. And suddenly, sort of just went, oh, what am I doing? I'm I'm 28, and and I. This is, you know, obviously there's ten percent of every performer in the world that goes, but by twenty eight I thought it was going to be Doctor Who. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You go by twenty eight I thought, well, I'll have found myself into some kind of, you know, comic actors company, and then we'll have done a thing, and we'll be on Broadway, and oh, you know, we'll have made somebody have gone. These guys are hilarious. Mm. Let's give them a Hollywood contract, or you know, you get the BBC thing. And, naively I suppose at, at 21 you always look around the room and everyone goes it's really tough really tough industry and you go yeah but I'll be alright when I yeah, I'm, I'm, really I'm good. good I'm really good I'm really good so there's, good there's 30 people in this year and I'm like yeah that, help, that slightly healthy slightly unhealthy ego you go yeah but, but I'm alright and actually there's nothing wrong with that you've got to have that you've got oh, to have yeah. that self confidence otherwise you know it's just flagellating yourself but I just and I did and I just took stuck, stuck of my life and went well th- I'm not enjoying this I'm actually not enjoying living hand to mouth, terrified about paying my tax bill, going, well, I'm not going to be able to, to, this is just going to be, the next three few months of my life is going to be horrendous and I'm going to have to go and do that call centre job again where I just feel depressed. So your anxieties went, went through So everything the went through the roof and I, and I was really low and I, I, mean, I drank a lot and did a lot of other things mm. and was just not happy. Fortunately, I got back into some some cabaret gigs picked me back up again and I got back into those places but I was not happy and I was uh, self-medicating is a, diff- is a difficult t- I don't mean self-medicating you know I wasn't on heroin yeah. but I was um, I was doing that thing where I was I was drinking and I you know I'd have you know I'm the sort of person that I, I like I like a pint or two before I go and do a gig but I was doing the thing where I was like no I was I was drunk I was, I was not funny and I was drunk and I was slow and obviously in your head you go nah because still I'd do it anyway I'd do it well funny me and actually it was about after a couple of months of that I went oh my god I am in a this is a this is a stupid situation to try and do that so I thought do you know what really try and take a hold of that and actually go do you know, I, I stopped looking for any other opportunities and I went right I'm going to focus really heavily on this cabaret thing and build it to the point where I'm this is my full time job 
uh, and I ended up building to the point where, where now pretty much I have four resident gigs a week. I go and do Wednesday in one club, Thursday in another, Friday in another, Saturday in another one. There's my gigs for the week. And then I've and then have been trying to push myself to do the other stuff during the day. Writing some scripts, putting some ideas together, maybe coming up with some other shows, or just writing material, doing that thing and going, actually, maybe I'll try this out tonight. Here's another little 30 seconds of something that I can just slip into this show. Um, and trying not to become as formulaic as I was, because I was like, well, I've got, you know, I've got these six bits that I do as my compare bit in between all these acts. And I was just doing it. Um, and I think it was the first time in my life that I went, oh, yes, yeah, the, the old mental health thing. You, you know, you can, uh, obviously, because you, you build that persona. So when people look at me, oh, he's, oh, yeah, Joe, he's oh, a bit crazy, isn't he? Oh, he's a bit mad. Yeah, mm-hmm. likes a drink, likes a party. He's funny. Oh, he's always fun. Must be a barrel ass around your ass. It's not. <laughs> but it is. It is lovely now. But at that yeah. time, it was like, no, do the gig. Stay for two hours afterwards, get shit-faced, go home, feel like death the next day, wake up at 12 and go, oh, God, let's do that again then. And I think I was like, well, that's not fun for anyone, least of all me. Mm. And actually, the more you go, well, these people are paid. They've paid to watch it, so don't be shit. Yeah. Um, and I think you, that was quite an interesting thing because I, I really felt like I'd hit. I don't know because I didn't, I've never, never got diagnosed with depression or anything like that. Because um, I think that is, you know, I'm all, I'm all for it. I think it's really important to sort out your mental health. Yeah. And I don't think, particularly when I was at drama school, nobody. I think they try and do it now. Um, and obviously, the the thing of mental health, since I've moved to London like ten years ago, and to start that bit, I think now even at high school, mental health has become a. A, a yeah. conversation that people have. Yeah, it's definitely become a point where people are like, oh, it's fine to talk about mental health. It, it, yeah. it had a stigma before. Yeah, and I think, and I think particularly there is a you know, and obviously I'm, I'm, my politic is quite into. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in, in gender representation. I'm interested in sexuality and how that affects you. I'm interested in in all of those things, um, and obviously a lot of those come with with mental health baggage and stuff. It's mm. a funny. Somebody said to me after after I was having that quite bad time. Somebody gave me um, a really good bit of advice and said, uh, uh, "said yeah, you must be aware though that the reason that you're good at doing what you do and the reason that people are who are who do what we do are good at that is because you're sensitive. It's because you feel everything. So the reason you can walk out in front of an audience and gauge whether or not something is going to be funny is because you can feel it. And obviously, if you can feel all the laughs, you're going to also be able to feel all the other shit. So, but don't knock that." Because actually, the thing that if you if you weren't empathetic to everything and you weren't completely in touch with your own fragile emotions, then you wouldn't be good at your job. Fundamentally, I know there's all that you know there's the tears of a clown thing, but there is something in that because I think in order to be switched on to somebody's to other people's wavelength uh, and to be able to be accessible to other people's wavelength, you've actually got you you're quite naked and you're quite open, you're quite raw to it, which obviously. If you're going to be open to that, so you can let the laughs out and the laughs in, other shit gets in as well. Yeah. And I think you've really got. Like, it took me, yeah, twenty eight years, twenty nine years of my life to accept that that was a thing. Because I think there's a lot of you know man up, and obviously, as we said, we're both from the north, and obviously, it there is still that culture in in the north. Of, oh yeah, it's still um, illegal to be gay. Up north. Yeah. yeah so. Um, which is a which is a funny thing, and because I you know I ne- and I never thought I you know. Uh, came out openly as bisexual when I was about 16, 17 but it was still just a, you know 
a theatrical ending. He's right theatrical. Well, that was the thing, wasn't it? You, when I knew you at that age... I don't think I was out when I first met you. No, you were kissing girls. A lot of girls. Yeah, and that's why... You know, but there is that theatre thing, but it was a case of like, oh, you know, Joe, I mean, he'll take a joke so far that at the point where he's, he's jerking off a guy, you know, yeah. and no one's thinking, it must be bisexual. He's like, no, yeah. no, no, it's, no, just, no, it's just funny. It's funny, yeah, isn't funny, it? Yeah, playing offs. Uh, whereas actually, obviously, inside and in my brain and in my genetic makeup, I was going, oh, I love jerking off a guy, love that. Yeah. Um, Who was shocked? Uh, Did, was anyone shocked? When I was working off the guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think most people were, but that don't do in a library. That was the thing. Yeah. Um, the, the, <laughs> keep it down. Uh, no, when you came out, was it? Do you know, it was a funny. I think it was a funny thing. I, I was. I've always been. Uh, I was. All, I've always been quite. My sexuality and my sexual identity. Interestingly, even as a, um, even my cabaret character is is openly bisexual. It's a theatrical bisexuality. It's almost like a pansexual thing that I play on. Uh, when I first started. Doing it, I was a lot more androgyny thing. I do the I do the corsety, high heels, slightly transvestite, but very much masculine whilst doing it. Uh, theatrical, not necessarily camp, but 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 also it, it's an aggressive sexuality when I'm doing that on stage. It's a you're going to find this attractive. Not do you find this attractive? Which is something I'm more interested in doing nowadays. Is going, I'm this. You might be looking at me as I walk out on stage at the beginning of the show in my glittery jacket and a lot of eyeliner and a bit of lipstick because it's a bit of a mask, because it's a bit of a clown face. I do, I have a clown face, but do very normal talking to people with the clown face on because it means that you can say what... It, it, he is, he exists as a... Joe Morose exists as a fictional character. He's like me ramped up to 12. But I... So there's a lot of me in it, but obviously I wouldn't behave like that in... In life, there was a time when I first started, when I was going a bit off the rails, mm. that I was just like that all the time. But actually, now you, you, you got, I've separated it a bit more. But that's an interesting thing because that when I came out, when I was in sixth form, my peers at school knew I had a girlfriend, but I'd kissed a couple of the boys, and then people had found out, and it was a bit of a thing. And it wasn't. I was weirdly, I am convinced that I was never bullied because of it, in a, in a direct bullying way. Uh, it was kind of it was weirdly accepted, but I was the only one, as I'm aware, of the year below me and the year above me. Uh, obviously, the, the statistics for people that are not heterosexual are actually quite high in a one in, in a out of ten people thing, or at least to your knowledge. Right? Yeah, and I think actually, you know, I go well. I, I look even because obviously on Facebook again, you look at other people and go, I think there's probably only about three out people that I know of from my year that are out on Facebook mm. uh, now and they certainly weren't at the time and I think that's a really interesting thing and I don't know why I mean some of the people were I mean some people must have had tendencies because I kissed some of them and you know well, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and it, but it's, a, it's an interesting thing and I, I think it, it's something that I I think the reason I did end up coming out is because I think you've got to weigh up you've got to weigh up right is it more important for me to hide that thing and be accepted or is my desire to kiss a boy stronger and actually for me my desire to kiss a boy was stronger and, but also because I was a theatrical person so when I was in sixth form I was doing the school shows and I was doing shows outside of school and so everyone knew that I had this slightly other life this kind, kind of quite theatrical thing and I had some girlfriends and there was a bit of a yeah but he's sleeping with a girl he's also slept with a boy what is, what is that so it was just sort of a 
an accepted thing, really. I, I wasn't aware of feeling directly uh, bullied or anything by that, which I know a lot of LGBT people have felt direct bullying. Yeah, I did. There is there was a obviously in Yorkshire there is a stigma. You know there is still London is a, a bit of a bubble when it. I mean obviously there's still racism and homophobiaism, yeah. um, <laughs> but there is a bit of a bubble with London where. Well, I think it's generally. I mean, obviously, it's, you know, we're not we're not through any kind of. I mean, if anything, in the last due to the nature of the world that's outside of this room at the moment, those things are actually getting worse. I think again, the because of the politics. Yeah, there's you know, whilst at the same time the the liberals are getting stronger and louder, but so's the other side because that's what always happens in these shifts and these movements and obviously let's not do that, but Brexit and Trump and all of those shit things have uh, have had an effect, you know, trickles down um, to those things. But London is certainly, uh, and certainly the bits of London that I hang out in, and obviously we've bumped into each other over the last couple of years at the Wonderground a lot. Yeah. That's a lovely old place. Yeah. Because actually you walk in there and it's creative, it's lovely, it's, it's full of comedy people, it's full of variety people, it's full of cabaret people, and people are there to see a bit of giggles. This, so is, they, this is on the South Bank. Unfortunately, it's just coming to a close until we reopen for Christmas. But uh, yeah, the the big Spiegel tent held those briefs was our main show. Yeah, five burly burlesque type. Yeah, oh, amazing burlesque, boylesque, and they're incredible. They're all. Um, they're, I mean, they're it's an incredible show, mm. uh, and it's really. I mean, ballsy is a wrong choice of word, but it's actually really ballsy in what they're doing because it is. It's camp, it's theatrical, it's, it's sort of non-gendered. They're all blokes. But the politic behind it is, you know, be who, what you want to be, all of that sort of thing. Mm. That's an interesting thing, because I think that's some, something that I've come across quite a lot in... Um, I've been having this very interesting... I'm interested to know your opinion on this. So, um, the nature of, obviously, cabaret and comedy... I was listening to a Frankie Boyle thing the other day, and he said it's really important to know that... that let me get this right, I'm paraphrasing completely, and if I've got this... Wrong, the wrong way around that it probably undermines the point but he said uh, he said people need to understand that comedy is a perspective not a position so you're whatever you're saying you're not necessarily saying this is what I believe or this is that you know people have got to take that as we're shining a light on something or we're putting a mirror up something or we're doing that and that's why you know obviously you, you try and steer clear of, of being I think sometimes you can be offensive Sometimes go out, shock and offend. If you're punching down, if you're punching up, yeah, don't punch down. Maybe punch sideways, <laughs> but it depends what it is, and it depends what you're highlighting. You know, you see those. Um, uh, there's a lot of interviews with like Al Murray uh, talking about the pub landlord, and, mm. and he said it's a, it's a, he's like it's a funny thing because uh, the fact that quite the fact that people watch that, and some people watch that without irony, yeah, is a really interesting thing because actually you're going isn't that that's mad you're actually you're taking this as a as a full on yeah his audience doesn't realise that he's taking the piss yeah I mean I mean, a lot of them do and I, th- I mean I think the man's incredible yeah no but... that's that's unfair to say I suppose but there are that, and but I think there's, I think there's definitely a lot of if you we had Armory play down at the South Bank and the general crowd that he brings in there are a lot of uh, skin headed uh, overweight middle aged men yeah 
Um, we're, we're so close to being that. It's something exciting. Yeah, I know, yeah. So I think there's a lot of people that like it because he's a bit of an old pub landlord and I, yeah, I, I and can I get behind that. But it's I, a I, bit I, like when you look back at, you know, Jim Davidson was huge when we were yeah. younger. And actually, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's that thing. And I don't know where that, you know, I'm not sure where I stand on all that because actually 50% of me goes, but it's comedy or it's cabaret or it's, it, you know, we were saying, we're saying, we're commenting saying something we should nothing should be off the table when it comes to comedy mm. but at the same time you've got to be you've got to be got to work out where the joke is who the joke's at because if the joke is yeah if you are punching down that's not right um, but I thought that was an interesting thing and we've been having this uh, uh, I'm having this conversation with quite a few other kind of cabaret compares and stuff because there is a um, there's a real interesting obviously cabaret the nature of that slightly different to stand up is it's quite a there's there is a huge LGBTQI audience. You know there is a it is a um, and the the hopefully the ideal is that it's completely embracing. We're not we we should be inclusive of all genders uh, or non genders. We should be inclusive of all sexualities or non sexualities or whatever. Um, and this is always I find all this interesting. You know we should be you know we should be striving for. Uh, a show to be completely diverse in terms of people of colour, in terms of yeah, gender and sexuality and all these things. That's the dream. Because actually you're going, here we are in this completely, here we are in this little tiny diluted version of what's in the world and we can show all of that through this art. Um, but there's one thing that, that and I get, I get a bit nervous about, you know, Lexis, about, about, about the semantics of things you say and about the choices of the words you use because obviously we're in a world where labelling or not labelling is really important and actually you've got to be you've got to try and be as you know, I, I'm bad at it but I'm more forward thinking than a lot of people I know and I still go I don't know should I am I allowed to say that am I not allowed to say that one of the things that a lot of people I've been talking to do a similar job to me particularly in cabaret as opposed to in stand-up when you're comparing how do you address the audience now we have ingrained in us for years and years and years ladies and gentlemen is how you do all my lords ladies and gentlemen how you doing all, guys yeah um yeah you've got guys and you've got all of these things and now i try try my hardest to without laboring it sometimes it feels like i'm laboring it but i try and do ladies and gentlemen as a phrase has an effect on an audience so you so I like to still include it, but you need to now say, uh, because we're aware of it and we're aware of the non-binary genders and we're aware of the well, non-binary genders, have I done that right? Non-binary gender, there's many of them or none of them, whichever one there are, and people that are outside of all of those things. Do you do ladies and gentlemen and those of you in between or ladies and gentlemen those of you who are not? Uh, or do you do everybody? I like to say darlings a lot when I'm cabareting because that's all-inclusive. Um, <laughs> But then, but the, there is a, it's a difficult thing because actually sometimes you feel like you're on eggshells and not because you, what I just don't, I, I wouldn't want anybody to say, to say, oh, he's really bigoted because I'm not, I'm really liberal. Mm. I'm like, I honestly believe in, I think be whatever you want to be as long as you're not an arsehole. That's pretty much what it is. Um, and there are, there are arseholes on both sides of the camp, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are, there are, right-wing bigots and real cunts <laughs> probably can't say that but no, real can't. real cunts um, being cunty on that side but you know what there are some people who are so liberal like liberally like Nazi liberal yeah 
like really aggressively liberal. You can, you, we can all think whatever we want to think as long as you think what I think. Mm. And uh, and you know, and sometimes you make a, sometimes you make a faux pas. Sometimes you make a, you use a word or a phrase that you didn't think through, and you maybe should have thought through. But then you get because of the nature of social media and all that, you get this backlash. You get this thing, and, I'm, and what I'm saying is not a Katie Hopkins thing. It's not a Nigel Farage statement because I'm, I've, I've, I've made a, a bad lexical choice, and I don't know. And quite often you go, so inform me, help me. As I was saying earlier on, I was talking about the, the nature of teaching, the nature of pedagogy, and all those things. Is you've got to facilitate someone's understanding. You can't scream at them until they understand. Mm. There's also our natural human response if somebody says this is what you should think. I go no. Everyone does, you know, everyone does, whether you're right wing, left wing, any wing, bi winged, whatever, you, anyone that says to you, do this, there is a natural human response of going, no, don't tell me what to do. And so when it comes to that sort of being liberal, you have, you know, you can't be liberal, liberal with hate. You have to be liberal via love or via inclusion. Um, so actually, if somebody, you know, if somebody is on both sides of the camp, we have this need to attack. And actually, attacking does not work. Attacking won't make the world a better place. Because of the nature of uh, the cabaret venues we work in, they're quite often dinner theatre. So the people that come to it are not comedy. Uh, they're usually, well, in the mainstream ones, they're, they're an interesting breed because they're not comedy fans on the whole. They're not cabaret fans on the whole because they've come to this quite mainstream um, version of it, you know, a cabaret fan goes to the what, like the the roulette show that I was talking about earlier on, somewhere where you're going to see something different. I mean, we've tried to do stuff in these mainstream things. I worked with a fantastic act a few years ago, uh, a fellow called Preacher, who was like batshit mad, but a genius, I think. He has an act called the Lawnmower of Death. This is when I tell people this, they're like, your your life is mad. He does an act called the Lawnmower of Death where he has a flymo that's plugged in and he balances it on his chin, switched on, and the compare chucks vegetables at the flymo on his face and it shreds everywhere. And, and it, it, I mean, that's mad, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, brilliant. Yeah, it's a pretty, even just the vision of that in my head. Yeah, it's quite terrifying. Yeah. Um, and people love it, but they I mean, in, in these mainstream clubs, people are like, what is this? And obviously you're doing quite accessible stuff it's not, it's not breaking the mould or anything. But hopefully, by doing a load of stuff that I think is quite easy, accessible to everyone, means that I can slip in a couple of those things that are actually quite politically interesting or whatever, trying to push an idea or push a thing. Because um, you could just whoop, get them in under the thing. Um, if I, I don't do the comedy syndicate, because I would, I'm, I'm like, I'm not out there enough. I'm, I'm really safe. Even though in this, in that environment, in the mainstream environment, I come across as like edgy. He's really shocking. He does stuff that's really naughty. But I put me next to an actual stand-up who's doing some interesting stand-up. Yeah. Nah, mate. You're the um, Bruce Forsyth of. I am the Bruce Forsyth. But do you know, I was, the, I was, I, I was so upset when Bruce died. Yeah. Because I actually like that is the kind of performance that that's what I would. That's the, the genre that I would put myself in, and we don't do it anymore. It's no, you know, it's... that all singing, all dancing. You know, the man could tap dance, play the piano, act, sing, present, do gags, question me, look down, women's tops, quite a lot. Um, 
I was watching Price is Right the day, but it was so funny. It was so funny. Um, Price um, is Right, just going back to you saying you watched it the other day, have you noticed that, like, watching it now, you think, God, that, that seems so... To have a couple of hot chicks yeah. by his side, and every time he's like... One of them just comes on to bring in oh, the microphone. Yeah, yeah. That's just only there to bring in the microphone. <laughs> oh, thank you, my love. There you go, my love. I'll see you in the changing rooms like. Oh. Yeah, and then he always, you know, the blokes come out, the... Um, the, the guys, the, the, you know, the you know, real people come out of the audience, and uh, and he's you know a fat guy, and he's like, "Hello, big fella," and you're like, "Actually, you can't." I mean, you, obviously, it was a different time, but but I mean, but the man was a genius. But I think that's an interesting thing because that people grew up with that, and that was all lovely, and and then uh, and nowadays we have this thing. So in these mainstream clubs, we have uh, TripAdvisor. Now, I don't know if you've ever got TripAdvisor. It's a really interesting experience so I get trip advised and obviously don't look at them I do um, I get I get trip advised probably like at least once a gig you go on the venue trip advisor and then there'll be the thing and it'll either be the compare the host the comedian whatever they want to refer to me as or sometimes by name nine times out of ten you get was really funny, we had a lovely time, he did this to my mate and we had a nice bounce and you do that thing because they don't know that you're doing the thing where actually, as a compare, sometimes you go, you're wearing a shirt. <laughs> oh God, yeah, he's wearing a shirt. <laughs> you've got bought you've bald. Oh God, he rinsed my mate because he's got no hair. I mean, yeah, I know. But, and I'm, and I am quite childish. I will just say, sometimes I just say things about my knob or your knob or, or boobs and it is, I don't care what anyone says. Farts, cocks, fannies, funny. They are funny. But do you we, have bad trip advice? So yeah, so the one you get, I, you about yeah, one out of ten, you get one that's, oh, it was disgusting. He swore. He was every other word was fuck. I mean, not every other word was fuck. I couldn't believe it. He said the c word. I want to go, mate. If you were offended by me saying the c word, you clearly weren't listening to the other shit I was saying. <laughs> because if you thought that was the worst thing. One of, I've got a line that I use about playing spin the bottle. So we can all sit uh, later on. You're all very attractive. It's always good on a mixed gendered table uh, or like a really laddy testosterone. Table. Later on, very attractive. Um, later on, we're going to play a, I'm going to play a game of spin the bottle. Sexy game of spin the bottle, but I'm going to be the bottle. <laughs> and if you meet eyes with somebody across the table, when I'm pointing in between you, you meet eyes and you go, oh, I fancy a bit of that. Then you could just use me as a condom while you fuck them. Oh, Which is awful, right? That is an image that you're going, I have said that you're going to use me as a prophylactic sheath to, to, and the conduit by which you will fuck somebody else. It's, I mean, it's awful. And sometimes when it, when it first came out of my mouth and I wasn't really planning on saying it, it came out of my mouth and somebody, one of, somebody, one of the other acts went, oh, that was gross. And I was like, wasn't it though? But we all thought about, we all spent a second and went, Oh, that's awful. Um, anyway, as I get, as I, as occasionally I get things like, and then the, and then that'll be the gig where I've said something like that, and they go, and he said the c word, and you're like, but do you not remember what I said? Use me as a condom. Like that's. I've I've been threatened with TripAdvisor before. Brilliant. For something, um, I did a day's work at the Sea Life Centre at Southbank. Yeah. Uh, I was working for an agency. This was like in between jobs, uh, solid jobs. Yeah. just doing work to survive and they got me a day's work at um, the Sea Life Centre during the half term break so hell basically um, parents and kids 
we sold out in the first half hour. I say we, I don't represent Sea Life. <laughs> and just lots of disappointed families. Uh, one mother came to one of the other guys that were working there, luckily not me, and said, I want to get in. And he said, oh, we've sold out. And she said, well, do you want to say that to my child? And he said, uh, yeah, fine. Do you want to bring him over? I brought the child over. Um, we've sold out, you can't get in. <laughs> but there's this one guy, bear in mind, I had no training or I was literally just stood there telling people to go in. And he goes, oh, or not. Uh, or not, yeah. But this guy, if you prepaid tickets, you're yeah. fine. And this guy came up with a prepaid ticket. And I said, okay, cool, yeah. It's just like, just join the queue there. And he's like, oh, um, but I've, I've booked online, do I not? Do I still need to join this queue? And I said, uh, yeah, everyone, everyone's booked online. Uh, that's just a queue to yeah. get in. And he didn't like it whatsoever. And as, as he was walking away, he just went, TripAdvisor, here I come. <laughs> the thing is, though, and like I went, it's... Oh, no, <laughs> not TripAdvisor. You're going to give me a bad review about SeaWorld. Sea as I'm going to turn around and go, who was right? The trip advisors come in. Who was on the door between one fifteen and one twenty-five on yeah. Saturday afternoon? Fire him! Oh, no, Get he, hit! He is not allowed in here. He's already gone. Is that also the thought? The thought that that man didn't. And what I think about that queuing system, I always find that's an interesting thing. It's something like the Sea Life Centre, which is fundamentally one long tunnel, right? Yeah, with, with fish yeah. around the outside of that tunnel. Well, that's one bit of it. Yeah, but that's the main bit, right? The bit where you're in the big bit. You go, well, if you don't understand the queuing system. You're fucked when you get in that tube. What do you think you're going to do? Well, I don't want to... I can't see, the, can't see the sharks now. Can we go in the thing? Do we go around? I'm going to go around the outside. Can I not get in with... Can I not get in with the sharks? With the sharks. I know, gonna... it's very dangerous. TripAdvisor, here I come. Second review of the day, darling. Was not allowed near a shark. Not near enough at all for my liking. I couldn't swim with the sharks. Uh, I couldn't feed the crocodiles. Um, Joe Morrow. Yeah. Would you say that you're proud of yourself? It's a bombshell. It was a bombshell. Yeah. That was some real news. That was an interview. You interview me, bastard. Um, do you know? Yeah. Um, uh, I have a bit of a bit of belief in my life. Uh, I have a little. Uh, I like to have a stock check at various points in my life, and uh, and I always believe in. This was advice from my mum. She said. Uh, when I've been feeling like, oh, I'm not progressing or anything like that, are you doing better than you did last year in whatever bit of your life? And, and up until now, yeah. I go, well, actually... What, up until this podcast? Up until this podcast. <laughs> yeah, up until this interview. And then tomorrow when I look at that, I went, ah, that's a fucking blip, wasn't it? But I think I look... I think at, that's a nice way of looking at it. Because well, I, think, I think there's... A, you can't... Because of what we do, it's hard to quantify because you're not in a... You know, if you're a... In a, in a system of work, whatever that is, you know, as a, a, in any other thing other than self-employed work, you're part of a system normally. So you're either moving up a pay scale, you're moving up a management scheme, you're moving on with whatever, you know, that is sort of the trajectory of all mm. other careers. When you're doing creative stuff or self-employed stuff, um, your output is, is your benchmark maybe and also your and also your income you, you've got to look at that and go well am I doing you know or did I enjoy it if you you know reckless enough to choose to do what we do which is a very difficult thing to do then you've got to be able to go well yeah it's worth doing it's, it has value for me whether it is feeding my soul or feeding my mouth with food 
or you know am I living in a nice house or am I comfortable and also the thing is you 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 get to the point where you go, there's the career bit and then there's the house you live in and then there's your love life or your family life and there's those different things. The career is a huge part of it because obviously it's the bit that drives the majority of us that do this. It's the bit that we do it for. Unless, you know, particularly when you're doing it at this level, when you're not doing it, you know, if you're making a shit ton of money doing it, then you might be doing, I want a bigger house. So I'll do that, I'll take the advert, whatever. But at this level, certainly you're going, well, that, that has to be part of it because it's, that's the thing that keeps motivating you. But also, I want time in my life to be able to have a partner. And I want time in my life where I can sit in my nice living room and maybe watch my nice telly. And, and if I want to deliver who, I can, oh, I can have a delivery whenever I want because I don't have to think about... Or any other way to the takeaway service. Any other takeaway service. Just eat. Hungry house. Mm. Or any other takeaway service. Or any other takeaway service. <laughs> Joe, where if people are listening to this and going, I I, I would quite like to see Joe Morrow in the flesh. Um, Idiots. Idiots. Where <laughs> great great promotion for yourself. Where can they find you? Where's the best place to, to go? So uh, I have various residencies in London. So I regularly do I do Proud Cabaret. I do Bunga Bunga, which is in Covent Garden. I do uh, the Café de Paris in Leicester Square, uh, and I uh, do a lovely. Uh, camera space called Cellar Door um, all of which are in London um, I've got I work quite a lot through my Facebook to promote my gigs that I'm doing um, but those are the sort of yeah they're my sort of regular haunts and hopefully you know with all of those being regular stuff hopefully um, there'll be other things you know to be able to promote hopefully in a, in a year's time I'll come back and do it one year on where is he where is he now yeah behind the bins well it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you mate this was lovely and it was nice that um, we had this chance to actually have a catch up yeah and that you can get some you know material out of it I mean not necessarily usable material but yeah no I appreciate you coming for the chat and it's yeah it's been really good catching up again and also good all good with the podcast Good luck and, and, and it, Thank you. It's, it's a good idea, mate. Like Thanks it. a lot, buddy. Cheers, mate. Should we do it? No one can see this, but we're shaking hands. Shaking hands. Um, Put your willy away. Hey! Thanks, Joe. The lovely Joe Morrow there. Nice to know more about cabaret and burlesque. I was working uh, in the summer down at the old Udderbelly Festival, the old gold mine, and I saw quite a bit of burlesque uh, and, and cabaret, but that was the first time I really kind of got to, to see much of it, really. But, but it was nice to actually find out more from Joe, you know, about the ins and outs of it all, as well as chat to him about everything else. So thanks a lot for that, Joe. A pleasure to talk to you. I can confirm that next week's guests will be the marvellous Short and Curly. That's Paul and Rebecca, who Paul has curly hair, Rebecca's quite short, um, uh, short and curly, you know, you, you can you can see why they named themselves that. Respectively, Paul is a stand-up comedian and Rebecca's an actress. She actually appeared in our pilot that I was talking about at the, at the beginning of this. After I chatted to them both, I, I thought, I think Rebecca will be good for this part. So we've actually got to know each other a bit better since the, the chat that we had, but it's it's a great chat. Listen to the the chat next week. Um, they're actually married in real life, them guys, you know. And I, I I talk about that because they just wanted to get hold of the gossip. They're a sketch double act. I've seen them uh, a few times now, and I can't rate them enough. They're a household name down at a night that I help run with Natalie Taylor and my girlfriend Louise Taylor. 
schedule healing. You should definitely check that out. You can get that on Facebook, and you can also check out Louisa's um, page, Taylor Trash, as well. She makes some comedy videos. I'm plugging away, everyone. I'm just plugging anything. I don't have any sponsors at the moment, so I'll just plug away for free. So get in touch at Matt Skillington if you want anything plug in. I don't care. I'll plug it. But um, they are really good, so try and get to see them. But I will be releasing that podcast next week. So, yes, that'll be that'll be good, Ted. If you like listening to the show, please share it with your friends or just tell your friends about it and tell them to get it listened to. Also, you can give me a five-star rating and a comments if you're feeling in an extra good mood today. That'd be nice. Get my ratings up, innit? Got to get them ratings up for something so you're more legitimate on iTunes or something like that. So, yeah, if you can go in the, the, the app and you can leave a message, um... That'd be great. Thank you. Uh, Thank you to my producer, Ryan, as always, and I will see you next week. But for now, I'll leave you with this. Follow me on Twitter, at Matt Skillington. Follow my comedy group, too, at Seldom Differ Comedy. And you can get me on Instagram, baby. Skillive it or not, I've just talked on air. And I've probably drunk my tea. I've chatted the breeze in my hope that you cared. Who could it have been? Skillive it or not, it was just me. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Good night.